Okay, Daniel, how's it going? Day after the victory? It is going well. Very good. It's a bit like I was, it's a bit like when you when your grandma gets ill and then she doesn't die and you think I'm never going to take her for granted again. <laughs> it's a little bit it's a little bit like that. Analogy, yeah. I just I guess was thinking back to it wasn't the last League Cup final that we won, but the one we won against Tottenham. Okay. On penalties. By the time United lifted the trophy, the United then was half empty. Yeah. Because no one really gave a shit because yeah, yeah. we were always winning winning, winning everything, yeah. And last night, it wasn't like... Yes, yesterday, it wasn't like that. Like the, when United scored, especially the second goal, uh-huh. United then just absolutely went off. People dancing in the, in the rows, in the aisles. And it felt like, yeah, Jesus Christ, I've missed this. Yes, needed that. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Everyone was great. And uh, I do enjoy the fact that it is managing to boil the piss of quite a lot of people. You know, we are back when there's a lot of chirpy people going, well, it's only the League Cup. Opposition fans, that is. This, and it matters a lot. I mean, it matters to both teams for different reasons. Obviously, it's 50 years since Newcastle have won anything. And it matters to United because it's six years. I was at the last one in Stockholm. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I think even then I might have been taking something for granted because that felt like an easy win. But yesterday was was really good. It did for that. Val, I remember thinking when before when we when we got two of the knockouts and you kind of look through that competition and you think, I can't believe Mourinho won't force us through the this array of teams. Yeah. Then the teams that were sort of slightly their shit started drawing each other. Yeah. And the one that was slightly their shit would knock out the one that was a slightly a little bit less crap than them. And it just it whole that whole thing totally opened up. But yeah, Stockholm was Stockholm still rankles with me because I had to work afterwards. So when all my friends went out to, went out to celebrate, uh-huh. I was sitting in a hotel room writing, uh-huh. and then I had to drive back to the airport. On no, yeah, it was that was yeah. yeah that was that sort of rankles. But yesterday, it just it felt. I tell you what, I really appreciated about yesterday. I think was that the first of all was shame avoidance. Yes, it being us that were Newcastle's patsies uh-huh. would have been a humiliation on a par with losing an FA Cup final to fucking Crystal Palace and that Alan Pardew dance being on the match of the day credits forevermore. It was, <laughs> for me anyway, I was talking that level of shame and humiliation. Yeah. But also, I knew we were going to win. And I thought about this on Thursday night because when we did the pod before Barcelona, you said, we're just going to beat, we're going to beat Barcelona. We'll beat them at home. And I said, I think I agree with you. And even when we went behind in that game, I didn't really think that we weren't going to come back and at least get extra time, but probably beat them. Mm-hmm. And before the game yesterday, I said two things to the, the boys I was with. I said, the first thing is, I am sorry, but there is not a fucking way on this planet that Rafael Varane and Carlos Casemiro are losing a cup final to these. Yeah, It right. is impossible. The and they really can- believed that too, didn't they, yesterday? And I mean, the other the- players think it as well. Yeah, they do. I mean, the the, the trans. I mean, we we'll go into all of this, but the transformation is obviously astonishing in this group of people, and and just the leadership, especially the leadership that's been brought in. Casemiro, Lissandra Martinez, a lot, a lot younger, but clearly a leader. Varane, Ten Hag talks about it constantly. The the thing talking about twenty seventeen, that game yesterday kind of reminded me. It was a very similar tactical Competent. setup. Yeah, it was competent. And, 
It was very competent. It, it was also absolutely on the money for what was needed against a Newcastle side and how they were going to play. I, I, I've rewatched it a couple of times now. And uh, during commentary, Carragher and Neville are basically suggesting Newcastle are completely on top. And I just didn't, I didn't buy it at all. I, I think that game went exactly how Ten Hag wanted it to do. He set it up to play against Newcastle, let them have the ball, knowing that Casemiro, Varane and Martinez would deal with it all. And they did. Newcastle had two shots on target from 60% possession. And that United would really hurt them through transitional moments and set plays. And just it worked during absolutely perfectly yeah it was during so what you said about Varane Casemiro Martinez that three there isn't a better three in world football you take so anyone yeah. instead yeah. of either of them and for year for the last couple of years Bruno's basically been the center of the team and it was get Bruno the ball and i think feel like it's sort of changed now it's those three players will ensure that you win almost every single game of football that you play. And the other thing that I said to the boys I was with was, in order to beat us, and for any team to beat us, they they now have started scoring goals. For any team to beat us, they will probably need to score three times. Mm -hmm. And with those three players, that is extremely unlikely. And what I know it was Newcastle, not Arsenal, but the way that we defended the box yesterday was the way I'd hoped that we'd defend the box against Arsenal if that was already what we were going to do. I didn't think that we needed to do that against Arsenal like we did in the last half an hour, last 20, but we defended the box brilliantly yesterday. And what also really turned the game, and it wasn't unlike what happened against Leicester, where James Madison basically said that we missed that. De Gea made that save, then United scored, and that basically finished us because we couldn't come back from that. And Newcastle just had their best moment that when Sam Maximad does Dallow, like completely diddles Dallow on the out and goes around him and De Gea saves it. And then we get the rebound away. Then we go straight down the other end and score. Uh-huh. That basically felt like the game, particularly because they don't have to go in half time. And they pretty much know that they've played as well as they can play or as well as they're going to be allowed to play. And they're still 2-0 down. Well, that, and that must right. have been and, and soul crushing. I mean, Maximan certainly made a fall of Dallow more more than once in that that first half. And he, I guess, looked their most dangerous player. But even then, it's uh, that that was the one chance Newcastle created. And that was after 31 minutes, their first shot. And United just controlled the tempo, the spaces completely. I mean, obviously, Ten Hag pulled Dallow off at half time. And and partly it's because he was on the booking and partly because Maximan looked like he had the best of him. But also, it meant that Varane kept having to shuffle wide, and that caused the problem. And and with um, Wampazaki, you know you can send someone on the outside. They're not going on the outside. He was brilliant. And get the, uh, mate, oh, he was brilliant, Wampazaki, defensively. He did exactly what he needed to do. And every, every single decision that Ten Hag seems to make just seems to be the right one. And I'm getting to the point, and it's only nine months into his tenure, that I'm like, I, I'm not going to question any of these tactical decisions, even if it looks like madness to keep playing Beckhorst up there. I'm just not going to question it because I know this guy's making the right decision almost every time. He's, he's, so, he's a footballing savant. And again, like you don't want to leap into this too soon. Sure. But, I mean, Dallow, we were talking about this at half time that we thought he had to pull Dallow off because you can't, you're tuning it up. If you go down to 10 men and it becomes something different, yeah, it felt like the referee knew he dropped a bollock when he booked Dallow. He didn't need he didn't need to book him from the way I from what I saw of it. Sure, then he did, and then when Sam Maxima went past him in the box, you kind of felt like the referee might have been thinking, 
I'm going to have to send someone off here because yeah. then the free kick for which we scored from looked as bad a tackle as the one that Dallow got booked for, if not worse. And he worse. didn't give a booking because yeah. it felt like he realised, I mean, I'm completely spitballing here, but it felt like the referee realised he'd set the bar for what constituted the booking too low by yeah. getting overexcited and booking Dallow. But what he I'm loving well, about... I thought Newcastle players got him booked. I mean, the card didn't come out straight away. Five players surrounded the referee. It was the dark arts that Ten Hag had talked about prior to the game. And they chirped away at the referee that the entire game, Newcastle players. And it's it's clearly a, a plan. It's not just in their makeup. They're, they're there to try and get players' cards. They they got Dallow the cards, but Ten Hag made the right decision, especially with five subs now. It's it, it just means it's Which a is ridiculous decision to do that. Half a team. It's yeah. absolutely it's absolutely ridiculous. If you don't like it, you can just change half of it. But what I, what I liked about Wan-Bissaka's performance yesterday, and also his performances more or less all the time since he's come back, is not that it, like, we know he can defend on the outside. And yesterday he even won a back post header, but it's the rampaging forward with the ball. His feet are still bent, obviously, which yep. is problematic. <laughs> but his ability to eat up the ground and make good angles, like the because we're now playing sometimes with the inverted fullbacks. Yep. He's doing really well at coming inside and beating men in the middle of the pitch, not necessarily going around the outside. And I don't know. I, I guess I had assumed that we try and sign a right back this year. Part of me would wouldn't mind if we didn't and we just tried to make do with what we've got because there's something it just feels less fraudulent if you think oh let's just go and sign the best right back that we can can we make something out of what we've got and that's the thing with Ten Huff what he's doing is he's turning the good players into fucking brilliant players and he's turning the players that we thought weren't good enough into players or players who we thought could be good enough if something happened He's mm-hmm. something that's happened. And yeah, yeah. I mean his his passing range is obviously not particularly good and, and that's the, the, the question mark that I'm sure Ten Hag will have. I mean he will want to eventually build a possession dominant side. I mean, clearly at the moment the team's knackered, they've played a certain type of opponent recently, and they he's just he, that's a again the brilliance of Ten Hag. For the games that matter, he's he's a very pragmatic coach. United had thirty something percent possession yesterday, and against Barcelona. And in fact, Leicester had more possession the other week, and he's turned them back into a transitional side for this moment in time. And I don't think that's the plan long term, but for right now, and what, it like back to Wayne Bazaki just to close off that point. I mean, yesterday he came very close to scoring right at the end, inverted coming inside, finishing off a one of the very few plus 10 passes moves that United made yesterday. So I, I don't know. I mean, I suspect there's better players out there than Juan Pazaka for a Ten Hag side. But but if there's 50 million to spunk on a right back or 50 million to spunk on a forward, the forward's going to be the priority. He, he was the perfect player to bring on in that situation. Oh, for sure. And also, what, 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 to go back to your point about the pragmatism, he made very pragmatic substitutions all the way through that, I, I didn't think he'd bring on... I thought he'd bring on Garnacho to try and score on the break, but he didn't. He brought on Zabitza with McTominay. I didn't think he'd bring on both of those to close the game out. And mm-hmm. that's the thing is he's not... He may have coached Ajax, but he's he's an idea. He's, not, he's a pragmatist. He's not an idealist because he wants to win and he knows that in the end he's going to be measured by winning and he's got good enough players to make it exciting in the meantime. It's not going to be like winning under Mourinho where you sort of you really have to win. 
because the football sometimes can be so totally dire. unacceptable. Yep. But he made seeing it out substitutions also, and it worked really well. I really like what he said before the game where he goes, it's all about that glory and honour in football, correct? And we deserve to play the final. We have a great opportunity to win the cup and we have to do everything to get that cup to Manchester. You feel it. The fans are really waiting for it. And so we do everything we can to give the fans their honour. And it is another one of those sort of paragraphs that it wouldn't sound the same if someone said it in their own language because we don't really use honour exactly like that when it comes to football. But the way that he used it with regard to football made it seem like really the right thing. Yeah. Partly that's probably just because it was him and I'm a patsy for him. But also, <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't pretend that. Even if he did look like a wreck and bone man. Did you see yeah. him with, on, with, on the plane with the trophy with his flat cap yeah. on and his overcoat like a wreck and bone man? I, yeah. I, I, can't, I can't totally get behind that. But I tell you what I also loved about Ten Hag, the fact that he was out for dinner with Fergie uh-huh. on, was it Tuesday night? Yes. Which means that at some point, one of the other has gone, fuck me, you see what's going on at Anfield? Yeah. yeah. And they shared a moment. <laughs> Fergie and Ten Hag have shared a moment about what's going on at Anfield. And then, after the Barcelona game, Ten Hag got a proper Fergie-style uh, shtech. Shtech, Yiddish for Pope. He's got a real Fergie-style shtech in on Liverpool. When he was talking about the Barcelona game, he said, you've seen their eight points clear in Spain. And, of course, we saw what Real Madrid did the other night. Yeah. And it was just, Yes! We yes, did all exactly. see that, yeah, and yeah. just so everyone knows, this is by how much we're better than Liverpool. Well, I, I mean, of course, everyone put two and two together after the Fergie dinner and uh, and Ten Hag pointing out Newcastle's time wasting and dark arts and goes, "Ha ha, very Fergie." I mean, and may and that or may was not also be very true. Fergie. It feels like one of those stories that's made up, but I mean, it, it did feel very Fergusonian to to then go do that. But when it comes to Ten Hag and, and him sort of really feeling it and getting it, I mean, they put out a a more polished statement today, a letter to the fans saying we're at one with the team. And I'm perfectly prepared to believe that because we saw after Barcelona, Martinez stayed till midnight at Old Trafford signing autographs and taking pictures with fans. Casemiro and Varane were pumping the fists at Wembley yesterday. I mean, these guys have won absolutely everything. They shouldn't give a shit anymore, but clearly they do. Uh, they, they come to United and they love and, and Martinez is great. Oh, sorry, Casemiro and Martinez. Well, Anthony and Martinez. Sorry, it's, yeah. What's happened is Casemiro and Varane have come to United and they, they, love, they love United. They love the Premier League. Yeah. And it's, they've realised, the Premier, the Premier League is the best league in the world. And I don't sound like some idiot saying that who works for Sky. And for me... <laughs> All right, for, Neville. For, for me, Dave... The Premier League is the best league in the world. No, it isn't, it's, but, it, but it is. The football's the best. It's the most exciting. The away fans make the atmosphere really good. And they've come and they've thought, this is fucking brilliant and I love it. Yeah. And also, they're just they're serious sportsmen. You don't suddenly shut off the desire to excel and to succeed. And, I mean, it's sort of almost not been lost but how good Varane's been this season, just because most of the talk has been about the other two, because Casemiro uh-huh. is midfield player, tends to get more attention, and Martinez was someone people said wasn't going to be good, and is. But Varane, like, the composure, but also the desire to make sure people do not score the blocks. And he's also much better on the ball than I thought he was. I mean, I knew he wasn't a donkey, mm-hmm. but his passing, his confidence with the passing and the running of the good, ball has, yeah. imp- has improved a lot through the season. Yeah. And, it comes with a lot of it comes down again to I say this all the time that people talk about Ten Hag 
and tactics and coaching and this and that. Talent and mentality. And Laurie Whitwell wrote that Martinez wasn't the fastest centre-back they could get, although he's not slow. He wasn't the best in the air. But the reason Ten Hag wanted him was because he knew that the mentality was worth more than a little bit extra that other players might have had in raw materials, in raw physical mm-hmm. materials. And you see it in the way that this team play. You know now, if you play United, you're going to get tackled. Yeah. You're going to have to run hard yeah. and fast. And those things haven't been true for a long time. Even the Mourinho teams, they didn't have enough strong, hard, fast players who like getting involved when right. they were winning. Ole's team didn't really have that either. But now, you're not, you're not going to get an easy game against United, even if you get beat. And if you win, it still won't, it'll be a hard game every time. Almost um, every time. And and I think we can trace that, a lot of that back to the decision to make the players go run that 13 kilometres after Brentford. I mean, I, I like it feels so trite, but he got out there, ran with them, said, hey, you have to do this and you're doing it with me. So it's punishment, but but he took the punishment and it was collective. And and it was just so the reaction to that has been so different to when Mourinho decided to dole out the punishment beatings and it was all about the players' failures and he picked individuals out and it's all about his own personal glory and it's just completely different. And, and again, yeah. I yeah. mean, those because yeah. he because he, he's ruthless. He's first of all ruthless and there are consequences. And, and also you've got players that understand now, because you've got Casemiro and Varane, you've got players that understand that that's how it has to be in a successful team. And, just going into any game of football with Casemiro, Varane and Martinez, it's like walking into a pub and saying, right then, dickheads, who fucking wants some? <laughs> it is the challenge. It is. Because it's saying, we've got this. What yep. are you going to do about that? That is generally nothing. Yeah. What, what are you looking at? You're what the most got possible question in the world. <laughs> what we've are you got Begby going into the pub saying, yeah, I knew that cunt was going to fuck some cunt. <laughs> and it's so not, it's not. <laughs> and it's not even yeah, it's not that they're gonna they're gonna fight you. They're just I mean, talking of Wenger would say footballistically, oh. footballistically, have you got in your team what it takes to beat a team with those three players right in the middle of it? No. Yeah. And I mean I actually think Martinez, the, the butcher nickname, is is less about the, the tackling. He's not rash at all. I mean he's hard. But he looks for conflict and I think he he gets off on the conflict and he looked for conflict against Newcastle yesterday repeatedly. There was uh, one great moment in the second half towards the end where we could, weirdly, those at the other end could see it and the, the, the officials couldn't see it and he knew that the, he, was, he was blind. The officials were both on the blind side and it was that way you get both herons in the back, absolutely hurl someone to the ground and, and no one can see. And I think the thing with him and the biggest, and there's just such an obvious comparator is Christian Romero. Because they played together for Argentina. Scaloni mm-hmm. prefers Romero. Romero's, Romero's he prefers got all the raw... Mendy, which is even yeah. more bizarre. <laughs> Romero's got all the raw materials to be a really good centre-back, but he's wild. Because mm-hmm. for him, the conflict and the violence is a sort of end, of its, end in and of itself. And it's a demonstration. And it's a... Whereas Martinez is just a serious competitor. He's not trying to hurt people. And he's not making dangerous tackles and he's not risking his team by making silly tackles. It's just about what you have to do to win a game of football. And yeah. what he does, what he has to do to win a game of football is, yeah, he competes. It's hard and it will be physical every time, but he won't be trying to take your knees off because he's, That's not, right. he's not a lunatic in that way. No, he's not. He's, he's, he's not Marcus Rocco, who's, who was a lunatic and completely out of control. Yeah, I was, I was, was looking w- at... Wild. He was wild and, and he 
doesn't make good toast either, which is unforgivable. <laughs> or I, I was looking at Mark, Mark Stats, who, who does some great visualizations on data, put out a piece on Casemiro and United this season with and without Casemiro. And it's absolutely astonishing, the difference. United are better on every single metric with Casemiro. So he's brilliant yesterday and he just knows where to be. And he basically played centre back in the second half. United are higher on XG, higher, lower on lower XG against, higher on threat, lower on allowed threat, higher on possession, higher on field tilts, which is the kind of American word that seems to have creeped in for territorial possession, uh, have a higher defensive action height, as in they push up the pitch, better at counter-pressing, better higher up the pitch when they start the passing sequence. Even the goal kick progression is better because they build up better. Build up completion is much higher. Every single metric. I mean, this guy and the impact he's had on United, the full team attacking and defensive. I just it can't be overstated. And I have to say, I my, my question was mostly about, are we going to look back in three or four years and go, oh, that was another one of those ones where we paid a hell of a lot of money for an aging player. But He's he's even better than I thought he was, and he's he's completely the heartbeat of this team now, and and absolutely brilliant yesterday, and deserved his man of the match. Yeah, I, I also there's no metrics or visualizations for call, yeah. and Casemiro <laughs> has massively elevated the level of call in this team, yeah. most importantly of all. But that's the thing is, and partly it's him, and partly it's we've needed this player for so long. Uh-huh. I remember the summer that we saw in Maguire. So how can you justify spending £85 million, even if Maguire's the best centre-back in the world? Because that's not... You can get... You can hide a good defence. You can rarely hide a good midfield. A bad midfield, sorry. You can hide a bad defence sometimes if you keep the ball down the other end. I mean, that's what Guardiola's made a career out of it, being mm-hmm. the best manager of, the gener- of his generation by hiding bad defences with possession and goals. But... What what Casemiro has, because I, I, I agree with you, I thought Casemiro was a, was a brilliant player when we signed him. And I guess I, the first time I heard we were interested, I thought, I don't like the sound of that. And the reason I thought I don't like the sound of that is because I thought he was older. I didn't think he was, was he 30 at the time? I'm sorry, yeah. or 29. I thought, I just thought he was two or three years older. As soon as I looked at him, I thought, okay. At that point, I just, it doesn't work for me that I'm going to say someone who has devoted their entire life to being the best footballer that they can be is going to come to United and break the habit of a lifetime and just not put effort in anymore. It just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense in terms of how people's characters work. And it might happen, but the likelihood definitely is that it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I guess because he played with Modric and Kroos, he got a lot less of the ball than he did for Madrid. Madrid pro- because also Madrid much more dominant in games in Spain than we are currently in games in England. Yes. So you only really get to see the guard dogging. Whereas for us, he's just doing so much more than that. There's no reason to think he can't score another five or six goals this season. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a complete midfielder at United. I mean, yesterday was one of the most defensive performances he had to put in for United because of the nature of the game and because United were happy to control the game without possession. He did do a lot of defensive work, but... For United, he's been a complete midfielder and yeah, just just magnificent signing. Word, word on some of the other players. It was it was interesting. It was probably not Bruno's best game. Marcus Rashford couldn't get into it except on the transitions. Again, I think a lot of this is to do with United deliberately bypassing midfield. I think very, Rashford very is probably 
I think he's a bit. I think he's a bit tired. Also, yeah, you can probably. see. I think, and I think this might be the team that might be playing within themselves a little bit in first halves, just staying in the game, trying to get in front because they know that there are a lot of games and then yeah. properly like, having at it in the second half if they have to. But the intensity is upping pretty much every time in the second half. And I'm wondering yeah, yeah. if that is... I, I mean, I think not... you're probably right, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, we forget United played on... Well, we don't forget, but United played on Thursday. Newcastle didn't. And, and against Barcelona, there's a and, massive yeah. physical and emotional dump after beating Barcelona that you can't do anything about. You can't yep. say, right, but they'll just be on a roll and they'll just bounce into the next game necessarily because of what they expended. But, but like coming from behind to beat Barcelona for those players would be a massive deal. And they, they put a lot into that game. It was, a, yeah, it was yeah. quite a hard game, particularly in the second half. I, I and, don't think it had an impact in how United played for sure and, and, and how they approached that first half in particular yesterday. And and then a word for Anthony, who I thought was excellent. Just carries the ball really well, made the right kind of choices and does all the defensive work. So He's a he's a good player. And it's, it's again what you said about Ten Hag. Ten Hag loves Anthony. Might he know more about football than you do? Not you. Because the whole, <laughs> the whole yeah, Anthony no, thing is totally confected. Yeah, he did yeah. that trick against Sociedad. Where he spin, but, span twice. I can't remember yeah. whoever it was against. Yeah, where, where he yeah. spins. And it was good. He did it, misdirected from the run that Casemiro was making, then just hit a bad pass. Yeah. But it wasn't It wasn't just a showboating trick without a purpose. But if it was, so fucking what? There'll be kids in playgrounds trying to do that tomorrow. For sure. And I want, you want people to play with freedom and with abandon and to entertain. George Best wanted to take the piss out of people. Cristiano uh-huh. Ronaldo wanted to take the piss out of people. That's... Literally, like that's United is rooted on wanting to take the piss out of the opposition and particular individuals on the other in the other team. So when you get a player with the with the balls and the talent to be able to do it, it should be encouraged. But we saw him do that exact trick yesterday. But yep. then United go on the brilliant counter and Vegors nearly scores. But I agree with you. I thought Anthony was excellent for all the reasons. But it was the whole thing was confected by TV and talk sport. Yeah, because Breti and Talksport because he did that trick, it didn't work, and then all of a sudden, like people are saying, oh, maybe it's a turning point for Anthony. The Barcelona goal. What are you talking about? He yeah. scored was it six goals, five assists. Yeah, scored on it's, his debut. Yeah. he's been injured. He's been to the World Cup, and he's been quite good most of the rest of the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a fine as a first season. I think there's a, a lot of raw materials there. Even against Barcelona, actually, he was surprisingly direct. And and this is the thing I thought we'd see more of him, that he would, he would take the ball, carry it, run at players. And he did less of that in the first part of the season. I think, especially against Newcastle, when he got the ball, he gained United territory by running with it. And it was exactly what we needed. So Ten Hag really likes him. And and we've got options now as well, because we know how good Garnacho could be. Sancho offers a different style of player. He he wasn't great at number 10 against Barcelona, but we know he can do that. Or, or play as a wide 10 in if he plays in wide positions. It's, it's yeah, I mean, well, this is... is getting these players to do what he needs them to do. And and, and he's yeah. got a lot of flexible players, which means yeah. you can send, out, send it out in one way. And if it doesn't work out, you can just, you don't even have to make changes to change what the opposition are facing, but you do also have changes, which is, we saw against Barca, but in fairness to Vegors, who in some ways sort of is the archetypal post-Bergie player in that he's crap, but he's not useless. And when I say crap, I don't mean that 
is rubbish, rubbish, rubbish. I mean, he's not the standard of player that we should have, but he's not sure. useless. Like Lindelof, like Maguire, all these guys who can play a bit, but they can't play really well enough. But he was, I thought he was really good yesterday. I mean, he works incredibly hard as well. And probably, probably, it, I mean, that one left for chart he had fairly early in the game. I'm sure he would have wanted to do better than that. His finishing's not awesome, is it? But he, <laughs> not he works awesome. really hard. He works really hard, and that's why he's in the team. And I, I actually, there was a part of me that, I mean, if you think about why you might want Rashford to be in the middle rather than big course, sometimes it's because you want to stretch defences. Now, Newcastle don't have a, a very high defensive line typically and so even though Botman and Shah would quite like defending against Veghorst because it's an easy easy guy to defend against effectively United probably wouldn't have gained in in that first half in particular from having Rashford through the middle and trying to play over the top to stretch because what also happens be the is because so. yeah Veghorst drops and then the centre-back's got to follow him and that opens that opens really that for opens Rashford. the door for others yeah and and okay, and then a, a few other things to note from yesterday. One is the narrative around Newcastle and Newcastle fans. I, I mean, it's really, I, I know what's we know what's coming, right? They they spent two hundred sixty million in the past year since the takeover, and apparently it's all down to hard work, Eddie Howe. And we get you said it at the beginning, just just like pause that glory for just a moment. When I was speaking to Nicholas McGeehan last week about potential Qatari takeover we talked a little bit about Saudi as well and and he was fairly certain of course they'd use this for PR purposes of course the the regime would and and they didn't get that opportunity and we weren't their patsies that was relieving especially also they had by these sort of plasticky flags yeah like an infestation of moths (laughs) (laughs) I used to hand those out at Stanford Bridge all the time yeah I hope this doesn't take off I mean it looks good on TV but yeah it's like crap plastic flags bin liners and moths but I mean, I think that they're they're quite a long way from from challenging still. I mean, Gimaraj is a really good player, and he Alexander is player. Isak has a lot of ability, a lot of raw yep. materials. Like someone who is good enough to score goals against the good t- against the good defenses, but doesn't score anywhere near enough goals. And sort of felt like them not starting him told us something because Callum Wilson's a good player, but. He's someone you'd expect Varane and uh, he's not going to do anything that Varane and Martinez haven't he, seen he before. He doesn't do anything unexpected for sure. Or yeah. can't handle. Got a sniff. Whereas Isak has more interesting ability where he can run past players, he can beat players, he can make them look silly. And I thought that the fact that they, they, they only picked one and it was Wilson, who I know is the first choice. And I know Isak's been injured, but it told us a little bit about how they thought the game was going to go. And there were those, I guess, that first 20 minutes where you're sort of thinking, you could find yourself coming to think that this game looks like 1-0 them from a set piece. But I didn't, didn't really feel like they were going to score otherwise. And as you said about Casemiro, I mean, that guy just knows his way around the football pitch. Mm-hmm. And we have players who... And that's one of the things that has also really changed with those those three players I keep we keep banging on about is that it's the football intelligence as well as the personality to know what read the game to know where the ball's going to be to know to know where they have to be and i tell you who else i thought zobitzer did well when he came on he did yeah he did he yeah, gave no, us a bit a, of impetus a, when we needed it he, he's uh, he's competitive he uses the ball well it's kind of interesting he I, I mean he's clearly not going to be first choice much but he's a good he's a good squad player for now yeah i, I mean just uh 
like kind of close out on my thought about Newcastle. I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, cl- I'm glad we 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 weren't part of their PR process. Glad we could slow it down a little bit. I just find it, I find it kind of sickening that they've they've got a bunch of cheerleaders in the me- media: Shearer, Culkin, Luke Edwards, bunch of others, right? Who there's this kind of narrative that it's basically like. Oh, we know there's a question around the owners and some quote unquote controversy. We'll talk about that another time. All right. And it's always later. And and it's there's always all... just like, yeah, we don't want to address that. And we don't want to address what's really happening here. And it's uh, and it kind of gives license to the fans to also do that. And I see there's there's very few. There's one group called Newcastle United Supporters Against Sport Washing, who get abuse and death threat threats on Twitter from their own fans, from fellow Newcastle fans, because they dare kind of suggest that perhaps all is not right in the world when you have a state with that human rights record owning your club and questioning what it really means to win when that happens and I don't know I mean it's clearly it's what sports washing is all about and and that's the first part the second part is co-opting institutions like a, a an unsuccessful but old institution of 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 English football and the third part will be the reflected glory and the soft power that comes with it. And and we know the path and the road they're going down. And, and there's people with the responsibility to push back against that that don't do it. Yeah, and I think the thing with Newcastle in particular is that there's this idea that success is deserved. It's been shit for us for so long. We deserve to have some trophies and it doesn't matter how they come about. And it doesn't work like that. They do deserve not to be owned by Mike Ashley. Yeah. In the great. same way we deserve not to be owned by the Glazers. But we don't deserve anything beyond that, nor does anyone else. Yeah. Um, Talking of the Glazers, I presume you in the crowd and me watching the telly heard the anti-Glazer chants. Curtis Woodhouse on Talk, talk Sport probably didn't because he never does because he's a white really merchant. pissed me off. It really <laughs> pissed me off, actually, the anti-Glazer chants. Like, we're winning the trophy here. I know. And we've got to sing anti-Glazer chants. And the reason we've got to sing anti-Glazer chants is because wankers say that we don't. Yep. Yeah. It's not... It didn't used to happen, particularly when we were winning. There were anti-Glazer chants all the time, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't a matter of principle. We're winning a trophy here, therefore we have to show that we're still against these fuckers that have taken a billion pounds out of our football club. Right, right, because some twat in the media will say, because hey, people you're keep not, saying, well, you only do it when you're losing, yeah. It's gone quiet now, hasn't it? And it never did. But, yeah, it's it's not it's not great, and... There was a few things about the whole celebration that were actually quite annoying. I mean, there was, I mean, I mean, obviously it wasn't that annoying. I mean, it was funny, like waiting for at what point is Maguire getting the, getting yeah, mercy yeah. subbed mm. before the game. You go, they asked him what he, what, what, what he was going to say in the dressing room before the game starts. And he says, go out and enjoy it. Play with lots of energy and intensity and take it all in really. Play with a smile on your face, enjoy the occasion and win the game. And ever since I've been made captain, it's been a dream to lift my first trophy for this football club. And just that whole package just made me laugh yesterday morning. And then then they mercy sub him on. And obviously he allows Bruno to lift the trophy with him. <laughs> but also, like, then they lift the trophy. But the thing about it is, and I think I took a photo of this, actually, that I, was that United End is sort of an L shape almost. Yeah. And the trophy lift happens facing away from the United End towards the other side. Because the point of the trophy lift is for Carabao to get photographs. It's yes. not actually for the people that have paid to go into the game to see to enjoy the moment, to see yeah. the moment, to see the moment even. And then they start just piping in the music and look. 
Any love will set you free. Will probably be on every party playlist I make until I'm dead. And <laughs> and I'm assuming that it will be on every one that my daughter makes once I'm dead. But why am I hearing it when my football team have just won the Carabao Cup? Yeah. I want to be singing songs about energy drinks. It, it, it was probably the most branded trophy lift ever. It was astonishing the amount of... And, and the post-match press conferences as well were like in some kind of weird virtual reality Carabao branded 360. It was incredible. Like, yeah, hmm, I wonder... The funny thing is, I don't think I've ever actually seen this energy drink in has a shop. Anyone, but... Has anyone <laughs> ever drunk Carabao? Email us or tweet us if you've had Carabao and tell us about my Carabao experience. <laughs> using the hashtag like my, my caramel experience but no i've never seen i felt like i had a there was a moment when casemiro i saw casemiro the kick at the trophy and in my mind his internal monologue was like why has this bitch got three handles because <laughs> he's obviously not 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 seen such a thing before but, yeah um, well you can grab it from any side i guess and <laughs> and have extra branding on there yeah, see, that was all a bit strange, but, but look, we'll take it, right? <laughs> we'll and take it. Alan Shearer, the photo of Alan Shearer just Head in sitting hands. there looking glum Beautiful. to go with the other one from the 1990 Cup final when he's standing there as an icon at the trophy looking glum is just one of those things that I feel I will never, ever tire of that. Ian Ladyman, I think I might have mentioned it on the last pod, wrote a piece saying, if you, if you, if you don't support Carrius, you don't know people and you don't understand football. I was like, what? <laughs> no, no, sorry. <laughs> the guy was in the Manchester City Academy and chucked one in his net for Liverpool. And uh, I was really hoping he would do the same. Yes, he did his very best with the, the one that he fell on the ground for, for Marcus Rashford's goal, which has been called an own goal, which is... I think he's been giving it back, actually. Has he? Good, good. I he think should so. be, because it's the deflection. I mean... It know, was going it's... wide. It was a crap shot. Yeah, I mean, I can see, I see both sides of that because it, <laughs> it was going wide, but I sort of don't mind because... I want Carius's error to be more significant. Yeah, anything right. that elevates the standards of Carius's balls up, I can totally get on board with that. Even though I feel I owe him a debt of gratitude for help losing that trophy for Liverpool and showing us and, get, and getting us the spectacle of ex Brookside actors offering out <laughs> offering out Sergio <laughs> Ramos on Twitter, <laughs> which was tremendous days for very dull periods in the history of Manchester United. But I also loved, I loved what Ten Hag said afterwards, where he said, I just love United. He did, so when I, yeah. So when I see our shirts, when I see the boundary with the fans, when I see Old Trafford, when I see the legacy to Alex left, to Alex left so many big players were developed in United teams that leaves a big impression. We want to do the same. This team wants to make its own history, its own legacy. When this opportunity came, I thought this was the right club for me. I want to be part of it. Nice. And that's, Perfect. It is because... For Mourinho and Van Gaal, it didn't feel like they wanted to be part of United. It felt like United had to be part of them. Mm-hmm. Especially and Mourinho. The, yeah, that Le Tassemois idea. And Fergie got it in the end. He'd often slip when he got a bit older and he'd talk about my fans. Yes. yeah, yeah. But he'd, he'd sort of earned the right to, to some of that. And he never, because he's such a massive history nut, his place in the scheme of things... He never sort of lost that reverence for history and reverence of what had gone before him. And when Ten Hag had that meeting with Fergie, I mean, I know I'm reading way too much into this, but if you look at the man, the managers that came after Busby, I mean, they're intimidated by him and him being there with good reason in some ways. Whereas when and I know Fergie got there much later, so not in the immediate aftermath. But Fergie loved chatting to Busby, just talking yes. football with yeah, Busby. Yeah. 
and he felt that the Busby being there was just a great opportunity for him. And similarly, Mourinho and Van Sal basically did everything they could. And, and Moyes, from the moment that he decided to keep Wayne Rooney, despite being told what to do by someone that knew the situation better than him, they sort of always kind of kept their distance from Fergie. And Ten Hag has the confidence in his own ability to say, I'm, I want to be part of you, not the other way around. Like, it's a privilege to, to, follow, to follow you, yeah. to be involved with United. But also, I'm going to nail this. And, and he really has. And he's in control of this club. I mean, he's been in control of the transfer policy. He's very much control, in control of the squad. He's demanding. Who, who was it that said this week? He's really demanding. Was it Marcus Rashford? I forget now. He demands more every day and there are consequences uh, for, for, not, for not doing it. And yeah, he has the confidence. He, he knows what he's about. Uh, he's a man. He's not. He's not young by any means. He's early fifties. He's he's got some history, and he's done a phenomenal job. He in the press conference after the game, he left the trophy and had to be reminded by Laurie Whitwell from the Athletic to go take it. And he sort of joked that um, this will be. I, it's okay. I can leave it. There'll be others to come, and and that seems to have wound a few people up as well. Great. There will be others to come. I think we can be fairly confident in that. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully hopefully this season. I think that, yeah, I mean, the the FA Cup feels like it's beating City away from being something that we'll win because we've just stopped losing to teams we shouldn't lose to. Yeah. And the only team that is above us in the league that is still in that competition is City. And it feels like, and the only team that is that, the only team of our level in the Europa League is Arsenal, who might have to throw Sporting because Sporting is a relatively di- is a difficult draw relative to what was available. Did they beat Spurs twice this season? Last season, sport this season, Sporting they definitely beat them in Lisbon. I think they beat they them. In, I think they beat them in Tottenham as well. I think they won both of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they're not rubbish. And it might be that Arsenal have to lose that. In order if to they focus w- on the league, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good shout, actually. Well, we'll, we'll uh, we're going to come to that. Really soon, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't let up. Anyway, let's take a, a quick break here, and then we'll come back and talk briefly about the FA Cup game. West Ham on Wednesday. I, I mean, it seems ridiculous that we've got a we can't like take a breather for a week and enjoy the trophy without coming to the next one. I, I, I do wonder what. I mean, I'm sure Ten Hag would love to win the FA Cup as well. And and you're right that there are a lot of teams out. But it's going to be quite a lot of changes on Wednesday, I imagine. Although every time I think there'll be a big rotation, he doesn't really do it. <laughs> there isn't, look, yeah. There's a lot of players who feel like they need a rest, who could do with a rest. So I, I don't totally agree with that. I think there are two. I think that Bruno and Rashford, if you don't rest them now, when are you going to, when is, when is it going to be? And yeah, I yeah. think... I'd also be very tempted not even to have them on the bench because it's not just a physical thing. It's a mental thing. Just yeah. you're not competing. To, you're not competing today. Yeah, you don't have to focus. You don't have to prepare. And we've got alternatives to both of them. Hopefully West Ham will want to rotate as well because they're not, they're they, sort of still in a bit of a relegation struggle. I mean, well, they are. They won at the weekend, but yeah, they uh, they're not they, they're not going down. But they have to. No, they have I, to add and I, I think I think Moyes will will rotate, and and so that gives us an opportunity. And I mean, I think you're right. Bruno really does suffer from being tired. He never want. He talked about it recently, didn't he? He do, he never wants any time off. So I'm sure he won't want to be rested. Rashford, I'm not sure he was even completely fit yesterday. Obviously, he had that 
that foot problem. They were going to play him whatever. It'll be, it'll be interesting whether stuff comes out or whether he took like pain killing injections because I wouldn't be surprised given how he was hobbling after the Barcelona game. And I'd he be played tempted. the whole game. He played the whole game. You're right. Although yeah, I think he I'm probably nonsense. But although, although I think maybe I think I think maybe he played the full game just because. We, we had to bring on one Bissaka. We played eighty-eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, we had, he had to bring on. He had to bring on one Bissaka. Yeah. Then he brought on those two midfield players to, to so, lock things up. Yeah. So if you take Rashford off at that point, then you don't really have. And Vekos had gone off, hadn't he? Had he gone off? Yeah. Then you don't really have a striker to bring on. He, so yeah, maybe it wasn't. And he had to give Maguire the pity fuck, didn't he? So <laughs> any, yeah. Anyway, I, I, yeah. I wonder whether Varane will get a rest too. And and I'm sure Varane won't play. Martinez maybe not. And Shaw probably won't play. Right. But they've all played a lot. Yeah. And that, those would be the key ones. And and apart from that, there, there's replacements to come in for all of them. So it's a drop off, but but not. not and Casemiro probably does play because he had four games off. Yeah, it's true. So it's actually, it's really, it's only those, I think, just Bruno and Rashford, the, the ones where I'm thinking you've got, to, you've got to find a way not to play them. And I think that we should be good enough to take care of West Ham, but you can see it being a, a horrible tight game. I mean, I think that's one. Whereas if you don't play McTominay in this one, when are you play McTominay also? Oh, true, true. But it says something about the squad shape now. We're the, the players that used to be the players that we had to rely on and, and couldn't rely on are now the ones to come in. And, and for a game like this, where they have to, because it's, it's, it's West Ham and it's Anfield next weekend. And then do we get into the game against Betis? It come, it's coming up really soon, the game against Betis as well. I forget the order of fixtures, but there's no no let up. And no, Betis are doing well in La Liga. It's not going to be a gimme, that one. You'd, you'd expect, I mean, Real Sociedad are, are above them in the league and are probably a better footballing side. And, and yeah, we, we saw we there should are, have done better in those games. So anyway, you get ahead of myself. But, you could easily so. go and lose 2-1 away to Betis. I mean... You could easily do that, and but yeah, we should we should be able to beat all of these teams because we're better than them. But that's not how that's not how football works. And you, that's not how football works. Yeah, you have to perform. But we have started like that. We've been saying this for quite a few weeks now that the games that we should win, we win. We are winning. And what's happened? Yeah. And that that sort of started quite quickly. But what's happened in, since the World Cup is we're starting to win those games comfortably. Because for a bit there was a lot of tight games, so that when we when we got done by Arsenal and Palace, it wasn't a massive surprise. Because if you keep getting involved in tight games, the way that football is is that eventually you will get caught most of the time, mm-hmm. and that that happened twice in a week. But since then, and a little bit before then as well, we started winning games that we should win a little bit more comfortably, like yesterday. And then that means that those those hail marys that you get caught with become of, of less significance. True. All right, backers, we are going to talk a little bit about the takeover and some of the options on the table as far as we understand them at the moment. New, with some new information that we with don't information, think has yeah. been anywhere else. So patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod to support us. We do a bonus show every week. There's merch if you are backers at one of the higher tiers. Or if you just like the show and you want to give us a tip, a dollar a month, and you can go and do that and join the 250 people who... You do that already, and we really appreciate it. 
Uh, we'll be back again in midweek. I'll probably be with Wayne, I think, who we're going to talk to soon about his new book. I'm sure you've you've seen it done really well. And a plug for a couple of other shows I did recently. I spoke, spoke to Nicholas McGeehan about the Qatari takeover and Andy Green or Anders Red, as you may know him, about the finances around the takeover. Both a couple of good conversations. So go check those out too. Thanks, Dan. Speak to you all soon. Please.